Parshas Vayera. Don't look back. In this week's Sedra, we read about the remarkable incident that took place in Eretz Kana, the Mehapeches, Sedom Vamora, the overturn of Sodom and its sister cities. Today, if you visit Eretz Israel, you'll see that the most desolate place in the land is in the south, in the plain where these cities formerly existed. The cities of Sodom, once large and thriving centers of commerce, are now nothing at all. You know, there was a time when the Bible critics denied that there ever was such cities. They said that the entire story of Sodom was invented from thin air to explain the utter desolation of that area. Unfortunately for them, however, it has become abundantly clear that from the recently unearthed archives of Ebla, Ebla was a thriving city in ancient times, that they were doing a big commerce with the cities of Sodom. They have found many clay tablets, letters written on tablets that detail negotiations back and forth with Sodom about the buying and selling of all types of merchandise. And not only was Sodom a thriving city, but it was a very fertile area. Surrounding the city of Sodom were lush fields and beautiful gardens, all of them well watered by the Jordan River. It was so remarkably beautiful that the Torah describes it as Kigan Hashem, as delightful as Gan Eden was. Now, whether it was exactly like Gan Eden, probably not, but it was certainly something extraordinary. It didn't last, however, because of their sins. They did not support the hand of the poor and the needy, Yechezkel. And there were other sins too. HaKadosh Baruch Hu passed the sentence of destruction upon the entire district of the five cities of Sodom. It was a frightful scene to behold. Hashem overturned those cities. Overturned means that it didn't happen gradually. It wasn't due to a slow erosion of the soil or some similar deterioration. It took place instantaneously. The Torah describes how a hail of burning chemicals igniting sulfur together with salts rained down in enormous abundance and everything became mineralized. Even today, nothing grows in that area. It's a desert, but not of sand. It's a desert of chemicals. Today, they scoop up not only salt from the Dead Sea, but many other minerals as well. Instead of a garden of Hashem, it became a place of desolation. So much so, that even many years later, when the Navi wanted to speak of an example of a total ruin, he quoted Sodom as the example, Yirmiyahu. Forever, Sodom became the model of a burned-out country. Almost nothing in that sinful city escaped the wrath of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I say almost because every little child knows that immediately before the torrent of chemicals came raining down, Lot and his wife made an escape from the city. What happened? Hashem had compassion on Lot. After all, he was one of Abraham's closest relatives. And even more so... He was his disciple. And so Hashem sent messengers to warn him to flee the city along with his family and thereby save their lives. Take everything you can and run. That's what they told him. Escape to the mountains. They seized him by the arm and urged him. Flee for your life. And that's exactly what they did. Lot and his wife escaped with the Malachim towards the outskirts of the city. Now we must note 
that in addition to the efforts of the Malachim to rescue Lot and his family, they also added a word of caution as they were making their escape. Just before fire descended to destroy the city, the Malachim, Alpi Hashem, gave one final instruction to Lot and to his wife. Al Tabit Acharecha. Don't look behind you. That's what they warned them. Now to us, that seems queer. Don't look back. Why not? As long as you are running away, as long as you are getting out of the danger zone, who cares if you look back? You can still run even though you turned your head back for a moment. As long as you're not delaying your departure, what's the problem? And not only were they warned to not look back, but we see that it was punished by death. Vatabet ishto miacharav nitziv melach. When Lot's wife looked behind him, she became a pillar of salt. And that moment, she was hit by a blast of burning sulfur and chemicals falling from the skies. And immediately she was mineralized. She became an instant fossil. The impact of the blast of burning chemicals paralyzed her. And in a short time, perhaps in the course of a few hours, she became a pillar of salt. It doesn't mean ordinary table salt. Nitziv Melach means she became a pillar of chemicals. That's what a fossil is, as a result of the exchange of minerals for proteins. Organic material undergoes the process of being ossified, of being changed into rock. And thereafter, for years and years, wayfarers who passed through this desolate place would point to this pillar as a testimony to what had taken place. Everybody knew by tradition that this column of salt had once been a human being who had become petrified while on the run to escape the destruction. A woman had turned her head to take one last look at her dying city and she was therefore sentenced to remain with that city forever. Now that's not something that's easy to understand because what's the big crime after all? It's true that she transgressed the admonition of the Malach. He said, don't look behind. And she did. She cricked her neck to take a look back at Sodom. But is that such a serious crime? Is looking back at the city where you lived for so long a sin that deserves the punishment of death? It's a big question. Actually, it means that we have to begin to understand what it means to look back. What's so wrong with peering behind? The Medrash tells us that the wife of Lot had fallen in love with Sodom. She liked the place because it was a place of wealth and conveniences. It was a luxurious city with many attractions. And that's why they chose to dwell there. It was a city where only the well-to-do, the prosperous, lived. And Lot and his family were happy there. They identified with Sodom. And that's why, when it came time to leave it, it wasn't easy for them. Now Lot himself, when he followed the instructions of the Malachim, and made sure to not turn around and look back. He demonstrated what he was, where his mind was. Sof called Sof, he was a disciple of Avraham. And when it was necessary, when he saw the judgment of heaven, and he realized how great was the wickedness of this place, so he fully sympathized with that attitude, and he faced away from Sodom. He turned his back on Sodom. He was finished with them. Lot was man enough to say goodbye Entirely. He learned a lesson and he faced resolutely forward to a new future by means of forswearing any connection 
with the wickedness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu disapproved of. But Lot's wife, not so much. You know that a woman is more committed to her environment. She more easily amalgamates with the neighbors and therefore even though her husband was able to divorce Sodom from his heart, at least when he was urged to do so by the Malachim, Lot's wife couldn't do it. She was acclimated to the culture of Sodom and when the time came to leave, she was quite displeased. It was a good time living in Sodom and she was most reluctant to leave. Of course, she was prepared to leave the city, absolutely. She had no alternative. The Malachim were urging her and her husband was leaving. In those days, everyone was loyal to the family ideal. No woman would separate from her husband and break up a family. And therefore, when Lot fled from Sodom, his wife went along with him. But one thing she couldn't resist. She couldn't resist taking one last parting look at her beloved home. And so as she was making her way from Sodom, she turned around for a moment and she stole one glimpse over her shoulder. The Pasuk doesn't tell us, but it could be she even shed a tear on behalf of the beloved city where she had lived so happily and enjoyed life for so many years. She looked back towards Sodom. We have to understand that looking back is a very significant symptom. It's a symptom of hankering of where your mind really is. That's why the Malach who came to rescue them made that a condition. He didn't only warn them against stopping on the plane. Of course, if they would stop, if they would turn around and reconsider, they wouldn't survive. But Hashem demanded more than that. Don't look back. Any demonstration of a reluctance to separate, that's already a symptom of a rot. It shows that your heart is still in Sodom. It's a demonstration of where your sympathy lies. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu won't consider you worthy of being spared their fate. If someone is living a decent life, but inwardly he yearns for the gay and loose ways of the outside world. So he is identified as a member of the outside world. Because a person is not what his body does. It's where your mind is that marks you. That's a great principle. Your mind is most important. That's why the wife of Lot suffered that terrible fate. She was sentenced as an inhabitant of Sodom because that's where her mind was. It's like the Jews who had to leave Germany when Hitler came to power and it broke their heart because they loved Germany. They identified with the German culture and German lifestyle. Somebody once described to me a scene, a true scene. A German-Jewish family had barely escaped with their lives from Hitler's Germany over the border into Lithuania, into a border town in Lithuania. And now they were sitting on the eve of December, the 25th, listening to the radio as the strains of the festival carols came out of the radio from Berlin. And they were weeping tears of nostalgia, tears of sentiment for their fatherland. Ah, in the good old days, we sat on December the 24th in the evening, as we listened and thralled to the holy music, they identified with the land of their destroyers, with the land of their tormentors and persecutors, and it broke their heart that they had to leave. Instead of saying, what a wicked nation, what a filthy nation, a nation of murderers, the Germans are worse than the cannibals in Africa. The cannibals at least only kill people when they're hungry. Instead of saying, 
We are happy to be rid of them, and we turn our faces away to a new future. We'll face forward now with the Am Yisrael. We'll turn our backs on these wicked Gentiles who are murderers of our people and never look back. Instead of that, they couldn't tear out of their hearts the allegiance to their fatherland. They looked back. This slavish subjection to the Gentile environment is what was expected of Lot and his wife to sacrifice. That's why the Moloch said, don't look back. It means that it's not enough just to distance ourselves from the sinners. You can't say, I'm leaving. I'm running away from the wicked ones. And that's enough. No, that's far from enough. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants is that while we're running away, we shouldn't look back. We shouldn't even want to look back. In Tehillim, we read the following words of David HaMelech. Shimi Bat, listen, O daughter. He's talking here to a young woman, a convert, who has forsaken her Gentile family and joined the Beis Yisrael. And she's a Gioides, according to all the conditions of Gairus. She fulfills everything without exception. She wouldn't be accepted otherwise. It's not like the reformers today, the reform movement, because their ranks are dwindling, their children are intermarried and are going lost. So they've embarked now on a big campaign to bring in new converts. A convert campaign. You can understand already what kind of converts they have. They are converted by a piece of paper, that's all. They don't have to do anything because their sole purpose is to swell the ranks of the Reformed Temple. But Tehillim is not talking about such fraud. In the days of David HaMelech, there was no such thing. He's talking to a real convert. Shimi Bat, listen my daughter, he says to her. V'shichichi amich, forget your people. Ubet avich, and forget about the house of your father. Forget? What forget? She already left. She's a firm lady already. She covers her hair and she davens three times a day. What more do you want from her? Oh no, that's not enough, says Talim. Forget your people and forget your family too. She's being admonished that if she wants to have a full gayness, if she wants to be part of the chosen people, she must strengthen her heart to not ever look back over her shoulder at the place that she left from. A gear has to say farewell to his old life and to his family. And if he won't, if he continues to maintain relations with his family, that's not a full gear. I understand that what I'm saying is not the trend today. But here we don't follow the trend. It's a big error when a gear continues to look over his shoulder. There are cases like that, and they think they're perfect gayrim. Oh no, it's far from perfect. If he still has some connections to his family, it's a flaw in his gayrus. He must turn his back on his relatives, even on his father and his mother, and not look back. From now on, he should look only to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as his father. It's not easy. But nobody said it's supposed to be easy. About Shuva too, if he looks back fondly on the olden days, it's a flaw. The first step of coming close to Hashem, it's the middle step. And the last step too, is to cut loose from all sources of influence from the Gentile world. Of course, he has to learn Das Torah too. He has to learn the Sephardim that will teach him new attitudes and give him a new set of values. You must learn. Mesil Shisharim, Shadei Tshuva. There's so much to learn.
you must go to the places where you'll hear these ideas and acquire a new set of values. But all of the learning won't help you become a genuine Eved Hashem if you're looking back. It's like a man who by accident grabbed hold onto a bush of thorns. And now he's holding onto the thorn bush and he's crying out, Ouch! Bring the peroxide! So we say to him, What are you crying about the medicine for? It means, what are you worried about Sepharm and Das Torah for? The first thing is to let go. Let go of the thorns. He wants to be better. But he sits and reads, let's say, newspapers. So the newspapers are a constant source of replenishment of all of the false ideals that he claims to want to run away from. He's still grabbing onto the thorns. He's still looking back at the place that he ran away from. Whether it's the Algemeiner Journal or the Jewish Press or the New York Times. Each one on a different level. But Tatsada Shabashabahem, Shedarkam Lahazik Ushmirat Amalecha. You're not going to get better from them. Not only a Balchuva, every from Jew who has a stirring in his heart to succeed in this world must cut loose and never turn his head around to look back. Otherwise, you're still in the gutter with the Gentile. And today, more than ever before, the Gentile street is depraved. Once upon a time, the streets in America were kosher streets. Yes, the Gentile streets. They weren't holy, but they were kosher. You could walk in the streets. Someone who didn't work and just wandered the streets was arrested. The policeman would yell at him, What are you doing? If he was doing nothing, it means he was looking for trouble and he would be arrested. Nowadays, they would arrest the policeman for yelling at him. And so the world is crazy today. The streets today are filthy. It's worse than Sedom, a thousand times worse. And I'm not exaggerating. I want to tell you that I'm very much worried about it. Will Hashem continue to keep quiet about America? I'm very worried. America is becoming so wicked today. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm worried that Hashem will not continue to keep quiet. How can He? And therefore, our only option is to cut loose from them. How much should you cut loose? You're going to come over to me after I finish talking tonight. You mean I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't read that? I won't tell you what you shouldn't do. It depends on how much you're ready to do something for yourself. But as much as you cut loose... That's how much you'll help yourself. The less contact you have with the Gentiles, the purer you're going to be. Forget it now about learning Torah and learning how to become better. A Jew doesn't say in the morning, I thank you, Hashem, that you made me a Jew. No. I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile. That's the first thing. The first thing is not to be a Gentile. About being a Jew. Now that's a different story. That's the next step. The first step is to turn away and not to look back. You know some people want to try to do both things at once. They want to run away from Sodom. It means they want to be a good Jew. And at the same time, they want to turn their heads around and look back. They want to be good Jews. And yet at the same time, they want to be Gentiles too. How is that from women today wear such short dresses? Who would have ever imagined such a thing? 
Here's an Orthodox woman, and when she sits down, she tugs at her skirt so that it should cover her knees. Today, that's a nice Jewish woman. But such a thing was unheard of just 60 years ago. A dress that you'll have to pull down, otherwise it'll uncover your knees. And sometimes even, I don't want to say who, Rebitsons sit like that. It's happening all the time. Here's a Jewish girl from an Orthodox school sitting on a bus, and opposite her is sitting a yeshiva man or a rabbi, and her knees are uncovered, sometimes even more than her knees. And she's talking to her friends. She's talking about the chumash she's studying for the Beis Yaakov. And what does the Abarbanel say? And what does the Malbim say? The real question is, what do your knees say? It doesn't ever enter her mind that she is so shameless. And she's saying Malbims? A Gentile woman 60 years ago would not have done such wicked things. It could be she has long sleeves. She also has a full dress up to the neck. So on top, she has won the battle against the Yetzirah. Up to her waist, she's orthodox. But the Yetzirah is like a fly. The Yetzirah is called a fly. A zvuf. You know what a fly is? The Chafetz Chaim explained it like this. He said the fly attacks you here. So you brush him off. You think you finished. Now he's over here. You brush him off again. Now he's over here. The fly will come from all angles and he'll keep on coming. So the Yetzirah once tried up here with the Jewish woman. Baruch Hashem, the Orthodox woman, battled. And they were victorious. No more short sleeves by the Orthodox. Anyone who has it cut down over here by the neck or short sleeves, they don't belong to the Orthodox camp. That's clear today. Modern Orthodox, yes, but that's not Orthodox. So what happens? The firm women think that the battle is won. Shaitals, long sleeves, everything. No, now the battle is being lost on the bottom. The Yetzirah is coming in now from the other side. Only how could such a thing happen? You know how it happened? The poor woman is fighting a battle. She wears a dress down to her knees. At least when she's standing, it's down to her knees. And as she walks down the block, her face is flaming because all the women are pointing at her and saying, look at that old-fashioned one. She's a martyr for covering her knees. And why are the neighbors saying that? Because in Paris, there's a wicked man, Dior, may his name be erased, who's corrupting the whole world. There's an enemy of mankind sitting in Paris manufacturing all sorts of styles. Now the truth is, what should we care about? Some Meshuggah in Paris. Only that the Jewish women, maybe the men too, are looking over their shoulders at Paris. Take a look at all the magazines today. All the advertisements. It's all Paris. And Paris is Saddam, no question about it. So what will it help if you run away to Flatbush and Lakewood and Williamsburg if you're still looking back at Paris? You're still there. You're a Parisian, a Sodomite. And the media? If you're looking back at the Gentile media, it's a question if you'll make it. Any Jew who means business with the Yiddishkeit must know there's no two ways about it. You must get rid of the infertile machine in the house. Those machines must get out of the house. There's no use talking about it. You can dodge the subject, but you have to know 
that that's the plain truth. Because those machines mean that you're in direct contact with all that's wicked in the world. Even smart goyim are saying today that this machine is corrupting the youth. And we know that it's corrupting the minds of the adults too. Yesterday a man called me up on the telephone, a modern Orthodox man who lives in Queens. Among other things, he mentioned to me that every Wednesday night he goes to the movies with his wife. I said, you go to the movies still? Forty years ago it was a different story. But today you still go to the movies? I told him, if you go to the movies nowadays, I can tell you, en lecha chelek haba. And there's no question in my mind about it. I'll prove it to you right away. A yeshiva man asked me, where did you get that? It's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara there says, If man reads dirty books, that's what Rashi says over there. If he reads Sifre Agavim, dirty books, then he has no share in the world to come. Now look, if you read a dirty book, you're only seeing words. There's no question that it doesn't have the slightest comparison to the potency of a dirty movie. And which movies today aren't dirty? You'd have to look high and far for them. And still, you won't find one. So if you watch dirty movies, which means any movies, so you know for certain that you're the one our sages are speaking about. There's no machloikis, no difference of opinion. Ain lo chelek. It's only those Jews who are aloof from the nations of the world who can succeed. There are no two ways about it. Otherwise, you are looking over your shoulder at the umas ha'olam. It could be that outwardly you'll become better. A man can put on a black hat and he could even wear a long coat and grow his pace. A woman could put on a cloth over her hair and she could daven. But inwardly, they're still receiving a supply from the sewer main that's pouring sewage from the street into their minds. It's like taking a filthy pot and then putting expensive meat into it and good onions and other condiments too. What's going to be the result? It won't be good. You have to clean a pot if you want to cook something good. And so the first thing is, don't look back. Now we can understand one of the fundamental plans of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our history. Not only in our history, in the history of the world. Hashem says to us in Devarim, Atem ha-me'at mikola amim. You, the Am Yisrael, will be the smallest of nations. Now it has been explained here already that actually it's not true. We're not the smallest of all the nations. In the South Sea Islands, other places too, there are nations much smaller than us. What ma'at mikol ha'amim means is that the nations together are like one huge nation against us. When I say against us, I don't mean they're opposed to us. Maybe they are, but that's not the point. What it means is that they are all different from us. There's no nation in the world that is even remotely similar to the Frum Jews. And that's a big test of atem ha'ma'at mikol ha'amim. We're standing all alone against the whole world. And when you are a little minority, so you might think that maybe there's what to see over there. Even if we're from, sometimes we might look back over our shoulders. It's a great test. Will we yield to the vast masses of humanity, to their ideals and fads and styles and trends? Or will we remain resolute in our ways? And now, friends, 
That's why we have to appreciate with all of our hearts the part of the Jewish nation called Hasidim. It's a sad fact that some of our fellow Jews have a certain antipathy to Hasidim. Now, I'm not a Chosid, and therefore I'm not going to be the one to convert you. But there's one thing I want to tell you now about the Hasidim. When this new group came along about 200 years ago, of all the things they accomplished, one of the most important features of their movement was this teaching. Turn your backs on the Gentile world and don't ever look back. You know, Jews used to sit in Kovno and Lemberg in the coffee houses and dream about the gay cities of the Gentiles. Ah, how nice it would be to be in Berlin and Paris and London. Oh, what culture they have there. What good times. But the Hasidim knew the truth. It's all a pipe dream, they said. You know where the good times are? In Kovno and in Lemberg. That's where you'll find happy times. You know how happy our forefathers were when they weren't looking over their shoulders at the Gentiles? They waited for Shabbos with anticipation. It was mamish, a happiness. The day before Shabbos, everybody bathed and changed their garments. And they all went to the synagogue, the whole city. And they came back from Shul with beaming faces to a home of Kedusha. The mother of the house is there and the candles were burning. The whole family is dressed up and the table is set. Everyone, boys and girls, are decked out in their finest. And they're all singing Shalom Aleichem. From all the windows, you could hear the Shabbos songs. The happiness was pouring out of the homes. That's where the happy times are. The Am Yisrael sing songs. The whole Jewish nation, our brothers together, grandfathers, sons and grandsons, grandmothers, mothers and daughters. The whole nation celebrated. They were on vacation, like the Kuzari says. The Kuzari writes that our nation is on vacation one-sixth of its life. Shabbos and Yom Tov is one-sixth of your life on vacation. And it's not when you're old and too sick to enjoy it. We start our vacation, our retirement, right away. Only that the Yetzir Hara came along and persuaded us to look back at the Gentiles. Nah, it's no good here. Here it's unhappiness. It's dreary and monotonous. Where are the good times? Look back over your shoulders at Paris. That's where the good times are. In London, there are good times. In Berlin, in New York. Oh no, said the Hasidim. If there's anything to admire, it's only inside. Outside, there's nothing to see. It's just a dream, a mirage, a chimera. The good times are by us, they taught. You want good times? We'll give you good times. And they came together and they danced. And they sat down and drank whiskey and told stories of righteous men. And they lived with inspiration. Inspiration from what's inside without looking back. Anything admirable, anything noble is right here. When they looked out of their little villages, it was only to see the Rebbe. A few times a year, they traveled to the great Rebbe, far off. Thousands traveled and they sat together for hours listening to him. And they were singing and dancing. Bechedva, they enjoyed every minute of it. The good times, the nobility of character and dress, the excellence of behavior and ethics. It's all by us. The only things that will come in from the outside are harmful, injurious things. There is nothing good that we could gain from the outside. And that's why we must make this Simcha Shel Mitzvah 
in our homes most prominent. Make your homes a place of the happiness of mitzvahs. Purim should be a great day of happiness and excitement. A good Jew makes Purim a big occasion in his life. Purim is on Tuesday. Take off from work if you can, at least part of the day. Make it a great day in your calendar. Chanukah should also be made into a great big simcha. Make Chanukah great in your home. And then when Thanksgiving comes, see to it that it should be a day like any other day. Don't go out to visit others for supper. And if people want to visit you, tell them you cannot. You're busy today. There shouldn't be the slightest sign of festivity on Thanksgiving. That's one of the methods of not looking back. You should take all the opportunities that you can and make them happy occasions. Chamisha asar b'shvat, you should celebrate. Shabbos, of course. And every Yom Tov should be made into happy occasions. The Malava Malka, if possible, is a very fine opportunity to fill your home with Simcha Shel Mitzvah. The home of Hashem is a place of happiness, a place of fulfillment. And to look anywhere else means you never learned the story of Ashes Loth. You never made use of that, the enduring testimony, the eternal warning of that petrified pillar of rock that stood for centuries in the desolate plain outside of Sidon. That's one of the great lessons of the destruction of Sidon. Not only does a Jew go into his little house, but he turns his back on the influence of the Umas Ha'olam, and he never looks back. We are only capable of living rich Jewish lives when we are inside of our homes, inside of our Jewish districts, and we're not looking back and hankering after the Gentile practices. Anything different than that means that we are in danger. At tabit acharecha. Don't look back behind you, because those who look back eventually go lost. You'll remember how as soon as the Am Yisrael went out of Mitzrayim, so Amalek came and they cut off all of the stragglers. It was a terrible disappointment, a big letdown. Hashem had just rescued the nation from the powerful empire of Egypt and he did it in such an open and grand scale. And here comes an Am Baz, a little despised nation to attack us. And he doesn't intervene to save us. Now, what's that all about? You have to understand the word nechashalim. It doesn't say necheloshim, which means people who are weak. It's a different word. Nechashalim means those people who made themselves slow. As we were leaving Egypt, the nation left with a rapid stride. They were happy that the Ananar covered were leading them. They were going towards their destiny, towards the rendezvous with Hashem. Forward march, onward to Sinai. But even when you're walking forward together with the Am Yisrael, there's always the test. Will you march with your head forward or will you peek back over your shoulder? Some looked back to Egypt. There were some stragglers, Necheshalim, who made themselves slow by means of looking back. They were walking with the rest of the people, but they couldn't help themselves and they fell behind because of that. They were going ahead to receive the Torah, but in their hearts, they had a certain admiration yet. They had a certain sympathy with the culture they were running away from. They were interesting things to do there. 
things to see in Egypt, and they were talking about it. Can you still see anything of Mitzrayim? They had things there. They could go bowling in Egypt, maybe, or roller skating. Maybe there were art museums and beautiful Egyptian buildings that they could visit. Nothing wrong, you say. I'm a pious Jew. It's just interesting. I go to Manhattan to the museum to see the beautiful works of art. But I'm still a very good Jew. Oh no, says Hashem. It means you're looking back over your shoulder. And so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw those who were straggling, the ones who were walking a little more slowly behind the rest of the people, he sent Amalek to get rid of them. Hashem allowed Amalek to chop off from us the Nechashalim, the people who were straggling behind. V'yizonev, he chopped off the tail of our people. That was the purpose of Amalek. We're not animals. We don't need any tails. It means that we don't want the kind of person who has a certain amount of reservations. Yes, he goes along, but he has in his heart some reservations. He has a certain admiration for the culture and entertainment and way of life of the outside world. He's constantly looking over his shoulder at the Umas Oilam, and that's a sign of where his heart belongs. Don't look behind you. Now I must repeat what I always tell you. There's nothing wrong with the genuine sciences, nothing wrong with physical accomplishments, mechanical accomplishments, and sometimes you must mingle them for business, for other purposes. And of course, we're never impolite. By no means. We're loyal to our country and polite to everyone. We pay our income tax and we're loyal to the flag. Certainly a Jew should be loyal. Nobody should be more loyal than the from Jew. America was a good country to us. It took us in when our grandparents were being persecuted in Russia and everywhere else. We came here and we gained equal rights. Certainly, we are grateful to America. And yet the day will come when Mashiach will come. The time will arrive when we'll have to leave America. Imagine, Mashiach is here now and all of us are getting ready to board super airliners. We'll fly to Eretz Yisrael, al Kanfei Nishorim, on the wings of eagles, all together now. And what will be the most important thing to remind ourselves of then? The same thing that makes us successful even today. Don't look back. Maybe you can see the skyscrapers of New York from your home in Williamsburg. Forget about it. Look only forward to your great future. If you want to be eternal, if you want to have the lot of those who are forever under the wings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you must walk forward with the Am Yisrael without ever looking back. You must give up your sentiments that connect you to the nations of the world. Every Jew who yearns for that great and glorious future of our people makes sure to identify only with the Klal Yisrael as much as possible. And those are the ones who will march together with all the rest of the Am Yisrael, when the great Gula comes and we are redeemed in the final great and splendid demonstration of the Yad Hashem. Have a wonderful Shabbos.